listening to the New Century Multiverse, The Princess Thieves. Chapter 24 The Battle of the Tower No days left. Robin gazed up at the woman on top of him, who shakily got to her feet and pulled him to his. <sighs> Hello. Hi. What the devil are you doing here? Saving you. Around them, the scaffold began to tumble down as Gwendolyn pulled him into a passionate kiss. Both of them were flooded with a powerful cocktail of relief and adrenaline. Now let's free the others. I'm a little tied up at the moment. Would you get that jailer's keys for me, please? The one over there. As you wish. Gwen collared the terrified Duarte and snatched his key ring away. Robin freed himself and they set about picking the hoods and factory workers up, unlatching them swiftly. The sound of clanking armour and footfalls was growing closer, and guards began pouring in from all sides of the scaffold, as the roar of the confused crowd became all the more agitated. These were heavies, not marked with the fire-casting livery, which meant reinforcements were not far behind. Gwen had half a second to react as one barreled towards Robin, brandishing a keen short sword in his gauntlet. She lurched forward and kicked out hard. The guard felt as light as a football under her boot and flew backwards with a yell, pancaking against the stone wall of the tower with a sickening crunch. Everybody froze and gawped at this mess, and then back at Gwen, who had her hands up to her face, eyes wide and mouth agape with somewhat awkward surprise. Uh... I suggest you all get back and let these people alone. Gwen was grabbed from behind and suddenly armoured Duarte was swarming her. She clutched at the hill of the Archenblade. Archenblade. She clutched at the hilt of the Archenblade and shrieked with frustration as their hands pulled at her hair and coat, dragging her downwards. She had trained in fighting single opponents, wrestling, boxing and her own personal style developed from combining those two disciplines with street fighting, which the princess had insisted on being taught at the finer points of over the years. However, here the crushing bodies in heavy armour, all roughly attempting to subdue rather than injure, was overwhelming. Far too many for her to cope with. Hearing the clink of cuffs and remembering the ordeal of being strapped to Robin in Camelot, she gritted her teeth and strained upwards, feeling her newly acquired might destabilise and move these men. It was strange. She could feel great strength, but it was tiring her too. (coughs) Gwen angrily swatted away a helmeted guard pulling himself on top of her, and realised that her gloved hand had connected with the sharper edges of his armour in doing so. There was just enough time to inspect her stinging appendage to find that it was not bleeding, nor was her skin damaged, and realisation dawned that she could merely punch them aside through their armour and not be badly wounded in the process. A miniature eruption of soldiers rose up, and Gwen smashed and kicked her way free, retrieving Robin who had been trying to pull the watchman aside to get her some space, and was receiving a fairly savage beating for his troubles. 
They retreated from the guards and in the next few moments had time to unlatch more prisoners who were rushing towards them. <sighs> you pulled the sword from the stone then? <sighs> yes. The trick was understanding how unbalanced power really is. Oh, and not giving a damn about having great power myself. Of course, of course that's what it was. Why didn't I think of that? Would you like to try using it? How? Uh, poke them hard with the sharp end? I'll kill them. I know. And if we weren't already at a public execution, I'd be happy to debate the morality of it. But we are. Gwendolyn was now aware that she had already probably killed a man. The stain on the wall spoke of someone at the very least with only a few unbroken bones in his now crumpled body. Her unspeakable physical power became all too apparent. She could most likely snap these Duart in two within their armour. Oh, it would be horrible exertion, dangerous and messy, but the confinements on capabilities and possibilities were now broken open. The processes could easily become as natural as those performed in her sparring matches. She felt sick inside and resolved on the spot to avoid going too far in her efforts to stop these oppressors, grabbing at the oncoming guards with her free hand and flinging them at the splintering wooden beams, at each other, at anything softer than a stone wall. The princess barged against them with her shoulders and swiped their legs out from under them, knocking the wind from their lungs, anything to prevent the blade in her hand from tearing through their flesh. Hardy and rough though they were, it would be all too easy to part them from their spark of life with this fiery golden sword. The pommel, however, that thick bit at the bottom designed to balance the blade, made an excellent tool for smashing against their chest plates and helmets. These blows sent them to the floor roaring in pain and surprise, very much out of the fight, but apparently not mortally wounded. Gwen panted and choked with laughter at her successful, if frantic, attempts to take them down, but again could feel her energy draining away with every mammoth blow. The princess was tired and aching and needed to rest. If they kept coming, there was no telling how long she would last. Glimpses came to her as she spun this way and that of the assembled Londoners. They could see her fighting. Many were even cheering, conveying ripples of much needed energy. And around her, the hoods had been freed and were pulling off armor and punching out the remaining guards who clung to consciousness, purloining weaponry as they did so, until all had something to defend themselves with. Gwen caught sight of Scarlet and Ajax, the bartender from the Thirsty Hog and the Punjab lady who had helped free them from the Watchmen that first night, as well as a curious fellow clad in black, brandishing a broom handle and bellowing something about Midnight's Champion being here to claim them all. Midnight's Champion is here to claim you all. She also recognised a lot of workers from the factory, though not being fighters they hung back behind the hoods hoping for protection. More guards were rushing in as the wildly leaning wooden frame around them began to collapse. As the hoods pulled the last few captives from the wreckage, the scaffold gave way and fell inward, and before them stood Captain Boltus, his face a mask of cold fury. Behind him were two dozen firecasters, all primed and ready, their grim features obscured behind those Karenite helmets. Behind them were an equal number of watchmen, standing not far from the madding crowd, holding them back. Boltus thundered at them. Cease this descent or I shall have my men open fire. Captain Boltus, it's me. Princess, what is the meaning of this? You are supposed to be marrying within the hour. I came here to prevent this mass execution. 
There's been a huge misunderstanding. These people are innocent of kidnapping me and I pardon them of all their previous crimes. You hear me? I pardon you all! Her voice was cracked and the crowd could not hear her over the din. They did see her standing her ground against Baltus and word spread quickly that this was the princess, that she and Lady Catherine were indeed one and the same. Now many within the throng began to jostle forwards to reach her, crying out as they were pushed against the line of steadfast watchmen. Stand down, your highness. Come with me at once to Westminster. I... I will do so if you let everyone behind me go free. Grant them passage back into London. I will not do that. They have been tried and convicted. To contravene the law runs entirely counter to my station. You demanding this of me makes you and these conspirators all guilty of treason against the realm. This ends now. You will stand down, girl. Gwen cried out to the crowd, waves of exhaustion gripping her, dizziness threatening to overwhelm. Everybody go home. Get out of here. Get back to safety. I stand with the hoods and the people of London. Moore heard her this time. There was louder cheering and Baltus's face darkened further. Last warning, girl. You are sheltering outlaws and the penalty is death. Ready, men? The firecasters all ignited in a line. The smell like burning paraffin filled the breeze. Gwen thought of the poor captive Barghest, pictured them roasting alive and screaming, hanging from their bonds as their existences ended in agony. There was nothing she could do. If she surrendered herself, her companions, these innocents would still all be incinerated where they stood. The people had realised now that their princess was in danger, and some were pushing all the harder against the ranks, screaming in protest. Firecasters! I am Princess Gwendolyn Amelia Gertrude Victoria of the House of Saxe-Coburg and Gotha. I order you to put away your flames and escort these citizens to safety. Nothing happened. Not one of them faltered. Baltus had taught them well to switch off all signs of conscience or compassion. Queen and country fell by the wayside when Queen threatened country. Please, Captain, I am begging you. Do not do this. His face was locked, his eyes flared. There was no mercy, no humanity within that frame. As she looked into his black eyes, the princess became desperately afraid. How could someone be so evil, so intent on legalised slaughter? Gwendolyn searched the skies for any sign of Nightwind, but as she had dismounted from him, he had fled. Of course, this was as far as he could have taken her. The nag would never suffer having those magnificent wings burned to help others. Coward though he was, she felt an odd sense of relief. Something would survive this terrible day. She looked back at Robin, seeking the strength to stand. As she gazed into his eyes, Robin struggled hard to withhold his overwhelming despair. He had made peace with his own death, but not hers. Now at the last moment, he could feel the familiar and dreadful burning sensation begin to lick over his hands the one element guaranteed to make their situation worse. There was no fighting this fire with what he had. He smiled in quiet admiration at her, through the pain, not wishing to despoil this noble act of self-sacrifice. 
Gwen's mind raced. She prepared herself to rush forward and stab Baltus through the heart. It might not prevent the onslaught of fire, she might die in doing so, but this despicable tyrant needed to be gone from the world, and there was the tiniest possibility that doing so might stun the Watchmen into compliance to her will. Fire! He screamed too early. There was no time to reach him. Gwen beheld the flames begin their slow movement across the shattered wood. The crowd were all lit up, their faces horrified. It occurred to her that she could jump straight up, grab Robin as she went. Why had she not thought of this earlier? She could jump them both to safety, they could disappear into the wild, leave everything and everyone behind. Even as these thoughts burrowed their way through her mind, she knew she could never have run from here. But the anger at herself for not leaping upon Baltus and slaying him sooner burned hotter than the oncoming wall. Those slowly moving flames were now spreading up and overhead, arcing across an invisible bubble. As Merlane, riding Nightwind, hurtled in from the sky, throwing up an enormous translucent shield as she came. <laughs> Gwendolyn registered this in a dreamlike daze, and all she could comprehend was how magnificent was the sight of this aged enchantress upon that jet-black stallion. Time returned to normal as the flames ebbed away, and the Watchman and Baltus flinched as it rolled back in their direction, dissipating as it went. Mercifully, these flame-proof sentinels acted as a barrier before the Londoners, but they were still bowled off their feet by the force of the blast. Baltus began a call again for fire, but was suddenly silenced as Viola Oberon and I charged in behind Merlane, our cart practically airborne with tumultuous motion. The spellcaster perched atop the horse and aiming her gloved hand at the captain with a triumphant cry as he tasted bacon. <laughs> Immediately, all was uproar. The hood surged forward and began attacking the watchmen. The barriers broke and the crowd rushed in as well, and the interior execution yard at the Tower of London became a heaving mass of bodies, armour, screaming, blood and flame. Gwendolyn had pushed through towards the spot Baltus had stood. There seemed little better or quicker way to end this than by ending him, but there was no sign of the captain, and too many people were jostling around her. The available space filled up frighteningly fast, and she was being shoved past and grabbed at. Suddenly, panic set in. Lights flashing, head pounding. Gwen lifted her hands in defense, and the sword was suddenly gone. She was punched in the mouth and dropped to the ground, strength bleeding away, desperately searching around her, hoping to see where it had fallen. The coldest reality made itself known. The Arkenblade had been taken. Gwen got to her feet again, pulling up out of the choking darkness of limbs and curses and looked around desperately. Some thirty feet away, now far beyond her reach, was a heavy watchman brandishing her sword. He was swiping it at some humans and screaming at them to get back. There may have been some knowledge of its immense value and power, or he may simply have been desperate for survival enough to take it for defense, having lost his own weapon. Either way, Gwendolyn struggled forwards and pulled herself towards the nearest edge of the scrum. He was nearing the gate. She looked around frantically for aid. She spied Robin on the ramparts, grappling with three bowmen who had been taking pot shots into the crowd. The third of these men tumbled down as Gwendolyn screamed out for help. Robin! Robin saw her, saw where she was fighting, and his heart leapt. He had about six seconds to act. Grabbing a discarded bow and knocking an arrow, he squinted off into the distance, his arm tense and shaking. There was no way he could be sure of hitting this man from up here. There was too much shadow and too many people milling about nearby. 
Besides which, even if he got in a lucky shot and hit him square in the back, the Keronite armor would most likely deflect his arrow. Robin hopped forward onto the descending steps and focused with all of his might on the bright, hanging oil lamp just up ahead of the fleeing soldier. Robin felt a flare of fierce, protective joy. He would get this princess's sword back to her. The end of his arrow ignited as he focused on its burning point. Time slowed as he let it fly, arcing across the courtyard, leaving a smoking orange fire trail behind, over the heads of the crowd, thundering through space until it pierced and shattered the lamp, spraying now burning oil into the path of the fleeing guard, who reeled back in fright, dropping his prize. Gwendolyn had cleared the melee and was hurrying towards the miniature inferno, her eyes now on the fallen sword. The world jerked backwards as she felt a vice-like grip on her left wrist. A firecaster pulled her towards him, purposely stepping on her coattails and planting his elbow on the back of her neck to bodily force Gwendolyn to her knees. She reached around for a weapon, a discarded helmet, a stone, anything. He growled. Stay down. Robin saw this and began to run. His fire could not hurt this dwarf, his arrows were unlikely to pierce that armor, and the high chances of hitting the struggling Gwendolyn were dire. This would have to be up close. He rushed down the steps and ran as fast as his short legs could carry him. A purple-coated figure now stood over the sword. Mortimer turned and glanced over at the fallen princess, smiling with cold satisfaction as she lifted the ancient artifact up to inspect it. Gwendolyn's jaw dropped in horror. Hey! Boom Hilda! Catch! The bounty hunter lobbed the sword in Gwen's direction and it slammed into the firecaster's shoulder, lodging firmly and deep. He screamed and let go of Gwen, who grabbed the hilt and gasped as her power returned, drawing the blade out forcefully and perhaps, by mistake, relieving the caterwauling watchman of his arm in the process. Robin reached her seconds later as Mortimer approached, reloading her guns. Thank you. Both of you. Yes, Mortimer. That was a good thing you did there. No time for chit-chat. She cracked off a shot into an area immediately behind Gwendolyn, blowing the hand clean off an attacker just as another lunged in from Mortimer's right and was himself suddenly snatched away as Nightwind swooped in and shattered many thick Duarte skulls with his thundering air superiority, expertly smashing that particular watchman high overhead with a single swipe of his wing. He had not been idle this battle, instead he had been prancing through the sky and drawing the flames to himself, dodging nimbly out of the way as he wheeled and circled, and rationalising that whilst their eyes were on the heavens, and aiming to bring down this magnificent black beast, they would not be on the ground, flambeying peasants. But on several occasions, this being one of them, both to thin out the troops and to reignite their interest in him, he swooped low and met them hoof to helmet. Merlane, meanwhile, rushed from one group of hoods or Londoners in danger to another, shielding them from harm, bowling over the strongest of their attackers and crying out battle orders. She was less concerned with evacuating the crowds, and more focused on tactically placing the right people in the right places to break up the Watchmen units, and drive them back onto unsteady footing. Some of the Duarte in the melee, raised on stories of King Arthur and his wizard, began to become demoralized. If the heroes of their past were on the opposing side, what did that make them? Those Duarte defending the humans in Arca, however, felt a surge of fresh inspiration. 
with a new Arthur, an old Merlane, they might actually win this one. As the battle raged on, Oberon had finally found his brother. Ajax was fending off two watchmen, his primal rage that might have proved so helpful for his survival somehow not surfacing here. His eyes were terrified, and his blows were wild and unfocused. <laughs> Oberon swung his new club with deadly weight, entirely beheading one of the attackers, a sight which frightened the other away. Behind Ajax huddled the Dragusha family. Brother! Oi! Your club! I make! Ceiling breaker! This is your brother? Yeah, he is. There's some people I've got to help. Can you guys take him out of here? He shouldn't be in a place like this, and neither should you. No, you cannot stay. They'll kill you. I'll be fine, Lavinia. Can you do something for me? Whatever you need. Can you take care of my brother? He gets scared sometimes, so you have to keep him happy and calm, okay? Be a big sister to him. But I am tiny. Is this one of your jokes? Be big inside. Because inside him, he's littler than you. Ah, now that I understand. Oberon lifted Lavinia up and placed her in Ajax's arms, then indicated the southern gate. It was a narrow choke point that seemed far off amid the chaos. Ajax, buddy, you keep this one very safe. Keep the bad people away from her and keep her with her family. I'll meet you all back at your boat. <sighs> Thank you all. Now go. Come on, Latoya. Come on, come on, you big one. Hi, Denny. Brother. Bakvat. Good luck. We go. Goodbye. They began to move, and Oberon turned to dive back into the affray. Mortimer and I had taken up positions around Gwendolyn, allowing her to be the heavy hitter while we picked off strays. This was a triangle that had been noticed. Captain Baltus glaring down from the watchtower above Traitor's Gate, marked our position and began to make his move. The princess would not leave this place alive. Baltus was spotted by Viola, who had been trying to make her way to Gwendolyn, guarded by Merlane's shields as she cast darkness and confuse on every man in uniform. She was beginning to flag now, and Merlane had rushed to the aid of some children who were being muscled towards a pit by a particularly brutal jailer. Viola was alone, weaponless. Baltus, flanked by four firecasters, was making his way across the yard towards Gwen. In this moment, Viola realized that it was time to fulfill her task as a bodyguard at all costs. Yes. She cast a sleep spell with pinpoint accuracy upon the captain. He stumbled and turned. The deceitful buffoon. Kill her! Yes. The firecasters flung scorching bolts in Viola's direction, which she ducked and weaved around, casting more sleep spells at Baltus, one after the other. <gasps> yes. He dropped to one knee as Oberon appeared with a roar and barged through the forecasters, yanking off their helmets and dislocating their arms. <laughs> Baltus aimed a vicious firebolt at Viola, which narrowly missed as she closed the gap between them, limping now. Oh. Yes. 
Each spell hit Balta square in the chest and he crumpled further, lashing out to grab at Viola. Oberon saw this and wrestled his way forward. Viola choked as the captain gripped her throat, savagely tearing at her jacket. The taste of lavender in his mouth was now so overpowering that bitter black bile rose up in his throat and trickled forth as he screamed. <coughs> On this last spell, Baltus's eyes rolled back into his head while his eyelids remained open, his face drawn wide in shock as the cumulative effect of these spells hit home. His consciousness retreated back so far into the depths of his mind that it would never return. His lungs forgot how to work, his heart ceased to beat, his mouth fell open and his tongue lolled out. Seconds before his face crashed, Chin first, against the stone floor. Viola coughed and struggled out of his twitching grip. <coughs> Weak as sex. My tiny ass. She pulled herself halfway to her feet and smiled in gratitude at Oberon before collapsing. You have been listening to episode 24 of The Princess Thieves, written, edited, and directed by Alexander Shaw, with a full cast. Viola and Dashuria, performed by Loretta Saylor. Princess Gwendolyn, performed by Theo Lee. Robin and Skender, performed by Alexander Shaw. Nightwind and Captain Baltus, performed by Spencer Lieb. Ajax, performed by Alistair Stewart. Lavinia, performed by Willow Shaw. Mortimer, performed by Sharon Shaw. Oberon, performed by Matt Wardle. Merlane, performed by Maureen Foley. The Princess Thieves theme was Arrival by I. Sazanov of Shockwave Sound. Perspectives, one of them, Death of Kings, Long Note 3, Killers, Volatile Reaction, Heavy Heart, Mist on the Moor, and Angevin were composed by Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com, one of the most generous creators on the internet. Many soundscapes provided by Tabletop Audio and ASMR Rooms. The New Century Multiverse is funded by Patreon, and our $15 sponsors get credit every episode, so thank you to Aaron Lecluse, Abel Savard, Alex Brewington, Angus Lee, Benjamin Hoffer, Brian Novak, Cassandra Newman, Chris Finnick, Christopher Wolfe, Kieran Dashler, Connor Kennedy, Dan Mayer, Daniel Salgero, Dan Hepner, Dave Hickman, David Sheely, Finbar Nicole, Frankie Punzi, Greg Downing, Jameis Enright, Jesse Ferguson, Joe Crow, Joel Robinson, Johan Clayson, Joe G, Josh Waster, Kat Esman. Kevin Vahey, Lorraine Chisholm, Matthew A. Siebert, Michael Hasco, Robbie Crow, Sarah Montgomery, Tima Hellas Hario, Tim Rosensky, Timothy Green, Toby Jungius, Tom Painter, Trey Contreras, and Valencia Burns. When the Princess Thieves ends, I will be releasing both Behind the White Scarves backstage chats with the actors, including an extensive list of all the little Easter eggs throughout the story, and 
the original sit-down table read of the treatment when everyone found out about their characters and the story they were about to get into creating. Those will be available only on the Patreon podcast feed. That's Alexander Shaw's Audio Club, which you can get access to by supporting our shows. 